Hello and welcome to the Beyond Biotech podcast number 74. I'm Jim Cornell and this is the weekly LaBiotech podcast and amazingly we're already into December. Last month the American Association for the Study of Liver Diseases liver meeting took place in Boston and creating a bit of a buzz at the event was the late breaking presentation from Ipsen regarding results from the company's clinical trial looking at primary biliary cholangitis, or PBC, which is a lot easier to say. To tell us about PBC, its treatment, and the trial results is Jennifer Schwantz, Ipsen's Senior Vice President and Global Head of Rare Diseases in the company's R&D division. I guess if we could kick things off with giving me a little bit of background on your role at Ipsen. Good, yeah. So, um, so I'm Jennifer Schrantz. I'm Senior Vice President and Global Head of Rare Diseases in the R&D Division at Ipsen. So my role is really to foster and grow rare diseases at Ipsen. So that's through uh, working with my colleagues in external innovation and business development to in-license opportunities, as well as I'm responsible for the clinical programs. So that's all clinical oversight, safety, efficacy during our clinical development programs and working with you know regulatory authorities to try to seek approval for all of our medicines in these rare indications. Obviously, it's a big company and you tackle an awful lot of different conditions and diseases, but I guess today we're focusing a little bit more on liver disease. Could you, before we talk about treatments, explain what primary biliary cholangitis and cholestatic liver disease are? Ipsen is a you know, mid-sized biopharmaceutical company, so we have oncology, neuroscience, and I'm responsible for rare diseases. And within that, we have rare liver diseases. And PBC, we say for short, or primary biliary cholangitis, it's a um, genetic, chronic, progressive autoimmune liver disease that affects more women than men. So it's nine women to one man, just based on the autoimmune component. And what happens is that you get inflammation and storage of toxins, bile acids in the liver that leads to cholestasis, which is accumulation of those toxins, which are hepatotoxic. And that can lead to inflammation of the liver, which then causes a lot of the symptoms, fibrosis, which is scarring. And the end stage of that, if untreated, is cirrhosis of the liver due to the toxins. And that can lead to complications of portal hypertension, esophageal varices, and need for a liver transplantation or the worst, obviously, would be death if you don't get a liver transplant. So I think the important thing is that it's a chronic progressive liver disease that many women and men who have this condition may not be diagnosed until they've had it for quite a bit of time because there is a period of time where it's asymptomatic. How rare would the disease be? It's a rare liver disease, but it's more of a common rare liver disease. So about two to three per 100,000 people will have it. And there is some recent um, epidemiology that the prevalence seems to be increasing. So there most likely is a genetic predisposition. It's got an autoimmune component, but there seems to be an inciting event that leads to triggering it. And then you get the buildup of the bile acids and the toxicity in the liver. Because it's a relatively rare disease, is it something that's easy to diagnose? It requires clinicians to ask their patients questions. And so a lot of the times it can be very vague, fatigue, paritis, muscle aches and pains, joint pain, 
which many people have and not have a disease. So it's important for people to recognize that these symptoms could be something, you know, more serious. And it really, really requires a very simple blood test called an alkaline phosphatase, that if that's elevated, then the doctor should look for the causes of that. And then that is important to get a diagnosis because, you know, we see in rare diseases overall, as well as rare liver diseases, the time from onset of symptoms, the time of diagnosis and treatment can be delayed. And that diagnostic delay is a problem because you really want to start treatment as soon as possible to prevent the progression of the liver disease. What are the current treatments for the condition? The treatment available for a long time is called UDCA, and that is a naturally occurring bile acid. And first-line treatment is using that treatment. It's been around, as I mentioned, for 30 years. But 40% of those patients don't respond to therapy. So that blood test, the alkaline phosphatase, stays elevated. And so your liver is continually getting this inflammatory insult. There is a second-line treatment available called Okaliva in the U.S. and many other places in Europe. And so that's called second-line treatment. And the response rate to that is only 50%. And the other issue with the current second-line treatment, which then creates the unmet need, is that it also worsens pruritus and causes patients' pruritus to get worse. So that is problematic. So what's been exciting is that we have a potential new class of drugs that can hopefully help prevent the progression of the liver disease as well as improve some of the symptoms. Right. You mentioned that some of the treatments have been around for a long time. What have the challenges been to innovation in this space? No, it's a really good question. And many of us who do rare liver di- rare diseases and rare liver diseases are really, really passionate about the ability to address unmet need in patients, working with clinicians who are clearly dedicated to help their patients, you know, live a healthier, better life. Um, and so some of the challenges is uh, one, finding patients and getting them diagnosed appropriately. So that diagnostic delay is a problem. Um, and often there's misdiagnoses as well. So that's an area. The innovation requires really creativity in doing clinical development because often you're paving the path and trying to establish what the clinical endpoints could be for getting regulatory approvals, as well as often a challenge is really understanding the natural history of the disease so that you can appropriately make sure that what you're studying in your clinical studies is appropriate for approval by the regulatory authorities, but also answering questions for the patients. So there are challenges of innovation as well as it's really important to have the collaboration of the patient organization so we can hear the voice of the patient and what they need and what, you know, their unmet need is for the disease. And also it's really important to collaborate with uh, regulatory authorities as well as payers for reimbursement because without that collaboration of all those groups, the drug, when approved, will not get to the patient. So that's really the importance of making sure there's access. So could you tell me about Elifibrinor and how it works and how it's administered, all of those things? Elifibrinor is an investigational uh, medicine. It's a PPAR alpha delta. So that's actually a hard uh, term to say. So the long form is peroxisome proliferator activated receptor alpha delta. So now you know why we call it a PPAR, <laughs> alpha delta coagonist. And it's a a new class of medicines, and it's a target for primary biliary cholangitis because it has an important role to play in the bile acid metabolism we talked about earlier, inflammation, as well as hopefully modifying, moderating the immune response. 
So as I mentioned, it's a new class of treatment. Um, there's many challenges, one on trying to prevent disease progression and also helping with symptom you know, management for patients. So we're, we're really excited that there hasn't been a new class for primary biliary cholangitis for you know, over 10 years. And so we're excited that this is really kind of the next generation for developing treatments for patients. How is the drug given to patients? So it's a oral medication. So it's a pill, which is important, a tablet form, and it's taken once a day. Oh, excellent. Is it something that people take and then stop or are they on it for life? Yeah, no, it's a good question. And there is no cure for PBC currently. So as I mentioned, it's a chronic progressive autoimmune disease. So we really important to take this medication chronically um, and for life. And so that's why in all our clinical studies, we have long-term safety outcomes to continue to follow the safety of the drug while it's in the real world after approval as well, as well as having information coming from our long-term clinical outcome studies to guide physicians on the long-term treatment benefit of the medication. Could you tell me a bit about the elative trial that you have running and the results that you presented at the AASLD liver meeting? It was a really exciting meeting, and there was a a lot of buzz regarding the fact that there's a new class of drugs for this rare liver disease, primary biliary cholangitis. So elective study, it's a registrational phase three study. It's a double-blind placebo-controlled trial that was for 52 weeks, and then it has a long-term extension for up to five years. So it just shows you how long that you need to study uh, liver diseases so you can look for improvement over the long-term and look for long-term safety. The study met its primary endpoint, so currently it's a surrogate marker, a combination of the blood tests I mentioned. One was the alkaline phosphatase, and the other one was bilirubin, because cholestasis is defined as um, wanting to achieve an alkaline phosphatase level less than 1.67 times the upper limit of normal, and greater than 15% reduction from baseline, as well as having a total bilirubin, which is another blood test under the upper limit of normal. So With that biochemical composite endpoint, we were able to show that 51% of patients met it, which is highly statistically significant, compared to 4% with placebo, which means a 47% treatment difference, which means if you're on the medication, you're 13 times more likely to get a biochemical treatment response. And currently, the thoughts are that this biochemical treatment response will be a predictor of long-term improvement on the inflammation and the preventing the fibrosis and scarring that still has yet to be proven over the long-term studies, but this is the current clinical thought. So it's, it's really exciting that we met that primary endpoint. Yeah, absolutely. What was the reaction like at the meeting? You said it was quite a good meeting. It was really exciting. So we met the primary endpoint as well. We could show that we were able to normalize alkaline phosphatase in 15% of patients, which is great. And, you know, that's tremendous. One, because the overall average level of the alkaline phosphatase was quite high. It was around 329. So we started from a high level and we were able to bring down the alkaline phosphatase to a low level with the upper limit of normal being 104. So it was a really a high target and we were able to achieve it. What was most exciting at the meeting was Robert, who is head of the uh, PVC Foundation, whose mother has primary biliary cholangitis, got up to the microphone. When I met Robert for the first time a few years ago, he told me his mom's story. So she was a highly functioning, you know, mother, corporate executive 
who got PBC and he saw her literally wither um, away, that she was no longer able to go to work. She was having trouble taking care of herself and taking care of him. And when he spoke to me about this a few you know, years ago, he had tears in his eyes, just how he described how this disease really affected his mother's health, physical, emotional, psychological. And so after the late breaker session, Dr. Chris Bolas presented the, the data to the Congress, Robert got up and he said that he was really, really proud to being part of the moment where this data was presented. And it was obviously shown to be highly efficacious and well tolerated. And he said it brought him back to hopefully more women will be able to benefit from a treatment and not have to go through or suffer like his mother did. So it was really um, a proud moment for us at Ibsen being part of this, as well as we always bring it back to our patient centricity and our patient focus is that we're really hoping that we can help um, women and men who have this disease feel better and hopefully prevent progression of their liver disease. That's something that quite often gets lost is those human stories that really kind of brings it home a lot. No, absolutely. And you know, I always say until you walk in somebody's shoes, you don't know what they're actually experiencing. And, you know, we're all fortunate. Health is the most important thing you can have. And so when you you know you can help a person with this disease, and not only help that person, but you're helping the family. So you think about many, you know, women who are disproportionately have this disease, they also are caregivers. They take care of the family, their children, and they often also have to work in the current environment. So it really is debilitating for women that have to just keep on pushing on and men who have this disease. So hopefully these new drugs will be able to help them feel better and be able to be more productive. Is this something that is leading towards being able to cure PBC or is it just something that allows you to live your life and it's just something that you manage? It's a great question. And currently there is no cure. And I think once these new class of agents become available and we can follow long term, to see whether we can prolong the health of patients, prolong liver health, avoid the long-term complications. Um, as long as you know, the drugs are taken chronically, that will be really an, an important scientific innovation. Of course, it's always important. And you know, in my role at Ibsen, we are always looking for the next generation of therapies, both in cholecystic liver diseases and other liver diseases. So we're always striving to find the best-in-class or first-in-class medicines to help treat these diseases. Obviously, you're a large company and recently just acquired another company, Alberio. Um, how important are acquisitions in terms of developing the company's pipeline? It's really critical. So our whole strategy is through external innovation and partnerships um, and collaboration. So our rare liver franchise really started with the in-licensing and having full commercial manufacturing and development rights to elifribinor, which is the PPAR alpha delta agonist we've been talking about for cholecystic liver diseases, primary biliary cholangitis being one, also looking at other diseases such as primary sclerosing cholangitis. Then we acquired Albareo because um, similarly to being cholestatic liver diseases, it's pediatric cholestatic liver diseases. So we acquired the company and we have Bilve, which is Odavixabat, which is a IBAT inhibitor ileal bile acid transport inhibitor, and that is helping with also remove the toxic bile acids from the liver. And these are in pediatric diseases, and also we're finding also in adult. Um, many adults can have some of these diseases that have in the past been undiagnosed. So one's called PFIC, or primary familial intrahepatic cholestasis. The others, um, and that's approved um, in many places around the world with Bilve. 
And then the second indication we got approval in the U.S. this year is for Allergyl syndrome, which is a, a multi-system complex genetic disease. And then we have an investigational ongoing study in biliary atresia. And this is a, a disease where babies are born with essentially no bile ducts and the bile is not flowing from the liver. So it's really life-threatening if they don't get immediate surgery to bypass the blockage. And then we're looking at a clinical outcome study where we're providing Bilve or Odavixabat to see whether we can improve and keep the native liver. So patients, at least children, babies essentially don't have to go to liver transplant. So now that we have a portfolio of pediatric cholestatic liver diseases being treated with Bilve, there's also a lot of pipeline medicines that we're also looking at other diseases, such as hepatitis delta as well, which is a rare liver disease. So there's a lot of opportunities for development, getting approvals of drugs and looking for new indications, which we call life cycle management. And then we're always scouring what's available for first in class or best in class medicines to add to our current portfolio for rare liver diseases. So it's something that we just continue to go through, look for innovative medicines and try to bring them into our company for development. So you're working on a lot of things simultaneously, I guess. That's it. That's why we, we well, that's probably the passion for rare diseases. One, you have to really want to do rare diseases and it's the gratification is huge because you're really helping patients who are very vulnerable and have really not been managed before because there's been no innovation. So that's really critical. I'm you know very fortunate that um, Ipsen and our, our board it's very supportive of rare diseases in general and rare liver diseases. So, you know, the investment for our development is really critical. And certainly knowing that we've been successful in doing development and bringing, you know, drugs to market in rare diseases is good for us to be able to continue to look for new partnerships. And then also just knowing that the medicines you're doing is really helping patients and their families, um, you know, gives us the enthusiasm to continue Despite some of the challenges that we have with, you know, disease drug development, it is certainly a challenging environment that requires resilience, enthusiasm for sure, be able to think out of the box, think creatively on how you can, you know, do the development for these rare diseases and medicines. And really the ultimate goal for all of us is just making sure that we get our drugs to patients to help them feel better. Seems that you're already making a huge impact. How much more impact do you think that you can have in the field? Well, now that we want to be established um, at Epson as one, a rare disease company, and two, specifically since we're talking about liver after the exciting um, AASLD meeting, as we really wanted to be known as a leader of innovation in rare liver disease. So we're in this for the long haul. We want to support the community, the patient organizations. Um, we really want to continue to build upon our current um, medicines that we have and assets and development to look at other rare liver conditions, so not just cholestatic livers. So we're always looking for where the unmet need is and where the innovation is. If there's, you know, obviously it has to be um, an indication, there has to be a neck mechanism, scientific plausibility, but we will go out there and hunt and, you know, look for the medicines that will answer that unmet need. So. I think we're in it for the long haul, and that will certainly shows our investment to the liver community. I think that's really the message that I wanted to get through, and um, just really excited that we've had very strong partnerships with the patient associations, because without a collaboration between the patient associations, pharma, regulations, you know, policy and reimbursement, we're not going to be successful. So if anything, I just want to say it's a collaboration where everybody plays an important role. And what are the next steps for development of Ella Fibrinol? 
Well, it's a registrational study. So since now we have the data public and I'm really actually honored and excited to say when the late breaker was being presented by Dr. Bolas, we had a simultaneous publication at the New England Journal of Medicine. So we're really thrilled showing that the high level of science and clearly the unmet need capture the attention of the New England Journal of Medicine. So we're thrilled with that. So the next steps is going through uh, what we call the regulatory pathway is to do regulatory submissions. And our plan always at Ipsen is to be as quick as possible and as nimble as possible. So simultaneous submissions globally is our plan. And then as soon as we can publicly uh, make that announcement that those submissions have been accepted, you hopefully will be hearing about that. And then it's our job to ensure that we then work with the regulators to get the drug approved and then ensure that once that happens, we can work with uh, payers and access such that patients have the drug available to them as quickly as possible. Definitely positive news for those suffering from PBC. Let's hope the treatment reaches patients quickly. And an even bigger bonus that it's a pill. So don't forget to check out the latest news and articles at labiotech.eu. And I hope wherever in the world you are, you have a great week ahead. Thanks for listening. And you'll join us again next time for another Beyond Biotech. Beyond Biotech.